situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Chinese bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. All I have to say about Colorado head coach Deion Sanders, and as he calls himself, Coach Prime, I'm rooting for him. I want him to succeed. I want him to lead the Colorado Buffaloes to a series of college football championships and once again, actually maybe for the first time, become a powerhouse in the world of college football. It's going to be judged by one thing. Are they going to win or are they going to lose? Are they going to win 10 games a season, be in uh, the BCS picture, and win championships? If that's the, if that's a fact, if that's the future, if I'm looking up into this you know, genie bottle that I'm uh, rubbing against and putting a wish into the future, and I look, and there it is, the Colorado Buffaloes, one of the elite teams in college football, then Deion Sanders' style, his way, is going to be replicated. If not, nobody's going to give a shit. It comes down to wins and losses. You talk about other coaches, other people's opinions about Deion Sanders and his quote-unquote style. It's going to be about wins and losses. Colorado is going to be a team that's going to be in a mix year after year, and that's the place where the young athletes of today want to go to school and play for Coach Prime. Then... Dion's going to be successful. If not, a couple years down the road, we're going to forget that he was a coach. Either he's going to become one of the elite, one of the best of all time, or nobody's going to remember him. Point two, dream team. I look right across from me. One of the greatest assemblances of talent in the history of sports was the 1992 dream team. And I look at that picture, and, you know, Christian Leitner, you know, we think of the uh, elite top draft pick kind of put on that team as uh, you know an asterisk but there were 11 other of the greatest players to play in the history of the National Basketball Association. Patrick Ewing, Scottie Pippen, David Robinson, Clyde Drexler, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Chris Mullen, Michael Jordan, John Stockton, Carl Malone, and Charles Barkley. And if the U.S. and its basketball directors and people want to put together a comparison or something close to the 1992 Dream Team, here's what they should do. They should build on the little uh, threesome of LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Steph Curry. Add to it the likes of Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, Trey Young, and Kawhi Leonard. And instead of bringing in a top player from college, add a couple legacies, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and make this the best damn Team USA in the history of Team USA's. Mac Brown, the former coach of Texas, now head football coach of the North Carolina squad, made a comment the other day, and I loved it. Instantly, I'm becoming a Mac Brown fan. And I'm going to read this to you because I find it 
very interesting how far he goes to defend his player. Now he has a player that ends up being suspended, and he says, quote, We're absolutely crushed to learn that Tez Walker's eligibility has been denied for this season, and he won't be able to play. I don't know that I've ever been more disappointed in a person, group of people, or an institution than I am with the NCAA right now. It is clear that the NCAA is about process, and it couldn't care less about a young, the young player it's supposed to be supporting. Plain and simple, the NCAA has failed Tez and his family and have lost all faith in its ability to lead and govern our sport. They've messed so many things up as it relates to college football, and now their failures have negatively impacted the life of one of its own. Just imagine what it is like for Tez to be so excited to come home and have a chance to fulfill his childhood dream of playing for North Carolina in front of its family and friends, only to have it taken away despite doing nothing wrong. I can't begin to understand how this has happened. The decision makers at the NCAA and its community should be ashamed of themselves for doing this to a young man. As it's clearly documented, Tez should be eligible for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the mental health issues he's faced during his time in college. And with this decision, the NCAA has placed the unnecessary, an unnecessary burden on him. He's had a rough go of it, and this will surely only make it worse. How dare they ever speak about mental health and student-athlete welfare again? We've got complete rosters overhauled through the transfer portal, players playing in their eighth year of college, players playing in at their fourth school, and a list goes on. Yet, Tez Walker, who has only played football at one school, isn't eligible. It makes no sense and never will. I very seldom read an entire statement, but I had the need to do that. This is a coach that's obviously putting the player first. You're talking about the NCAA and an institution, which has clearly tried to benefit itself in many situations for those that aren't familiar with Tez Walker. This is a situation where he has done very little. You know, we're not talking about somebody being ineligible because they're, you know, trying to play for this school when they belong to this other school. Mac Mac Brown has become my hero. Mac Brown has become instantly my favorite college football head coach. I'm rooting for the Tar Heels. I want to see them win the ACC. I want to see them win bowl, a bowl game. I want them to be in a position to perhaps be in a BCS. Probably unlikely, but go Tar Heels. Next thing I wanted to bring up. Obviously a terrifying and sad injury and ending to Aaron Rodgers' season occurred with four plays into his career with the New York Football Jets. Obviously, you know, I wish him the speediest of recovery. If there's any chance shot opportunity, he could be back on the football field by the end of this season. It would be a miracle, but I'd love to see it happen. No Jet fan here, but I'd like to see him play at the highest level because he has been one of the best to do it for the last decade plus. An interesting thing that I wanted to discuss 
the Jets, and obviously their decision to go with Zach Wilson as their starter. It's the right thing for, for Coach Sala to say. It's the right thing for the Jets going forward until they have even brought in any competition for Zach Wilson. They have not done that. Their you know, third stringer is Tim Boyle, who's probably going to be elevated and will play as Zach Wilson's backup. How far should the Jets go with this? Obviously, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be back for the rest of the season. If he is, maybe in the playoffs, like I said, a miracle, but you can't bank on that. Could the Jets possibly seek a trade? The Tennessee Titans were interested in moving Ryan Tannehill around the trading deadline. They've got Will Levis. They still have in their mix Malik Willis. Odds are Rand Carthon, the new general manager of the Tennessee Titans, is looking to build for the future. Do they necessarily need Ryan Tannehill? Would the Jets be willing to take on Tannehill's salary? Because I think that could be something that could potentially work. You're going to trade? No, not certainly not a first-round draft pick. You know, if the Titans are looking to play their younger quarterbacks, this is something that could work for the Jets. And like I said, the return may not be as outstanding. If you want to go a little further, Dak Prescott, Dallas Cowboys, Trey Lance being traded for, would the Cowboys have an interest in looking at Zach Wilson in a Prescott for Zach type of trade? I don't know. That seems a little more like fantasy football dream scenario. I don't think it would ever happen, but I think it's a little bit of food for a thought. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Albert's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Today's Saving Sports History segment is going to start out by talking about 1924. Today being the 16th day of September 2023, so all occurrences happened on this day, on uh, September 16th, 1924. Eventual Baseball Hall of Famer Jim Bottomley sets an MLB record for 12 runs batted in in a baseball game. And yes, I'm one that says save the RBI. 1950, the Cleveland Browns played their first game in the National Football League, and one of the kind of... uh, showstopper moments, I think, in the history of sports. We don't talk about it too much. Cleveland Browns in the old All-American Football Conference, the AAFC, existed for four years, 1946 to 1949. The champions of the AAFC for all four of those seasons were the Cleveland Browns. The AAFC folds. The Browns join the NFL in 1950. Guess who wins the NFL championship in 1950? You guessed it, the Cleveland Browns. 1960, future Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Warren Spahn throws a no-hitter for the Milwaukee Braves. 1973, Orenthal James Simpson. In my opinion, still one of the top five running backs in the history of the National Football League. Rushes for a then-record 250 yards in a victory over the New England Patriots. 1975, Rennie Stennett, second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates, part of the all-black one through nine, first time in Major League Baseball history. It happened in 1971, but on this day in 1975, he was seven for seven 
in a nine-inning game. In fact, the second player in the history of Major League Baseball to get seven hits in a nine-inning game, the first was Wilbert Robinson in 1893. 1993, Minnesota Twins outfielder Dave Winfield gets his 3,000th hit. Three years later to the day, Minnesota Twins designated hitter Paul Molitor got his 3,000th hit. Both of those future Hall of Famers got their 3,000th hit on the 16th day of September, three years apart, wearing the uniform of the Minnesota Twins. Legendary NBA basketball player and Hall of Famer Elgin Baylor was born on this day in 1934. Baseball Hall of Famer Robin Yount was born on this day in 1955. Three years later, World Series MVP in 1988 and Cy Young Award winner of that season, Oral Hershiser, was born on this day in 1958. 1959, Baseball Hall of Fame outfielder and stolen base champion Tim Raines was born on this day. 1951, we lost Baseball Hall of Fame umpire Bill Clem. His nickname was Catfish. If you ever said that to him, he'll probably punch you in the mouth. But one of the more pronounced and dominant umpires during his time. 2015, uh, Hockey Hall of Fame center Bob Cleary passed away. This is, once again, the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you can check out Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music videos on YouTube. We'll be back with you soon. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. Now they come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially you prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Tony Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>